Today I will believe and confess that Jesus Christ was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. All right, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. All right, I want to take this opportunity, um, as I said, to see if we can't get a little bit more into where, you know, Brother Chris, you know, a couple weeks ago, you know, he preached a sermon, he entitled it Seasons, you know, uh, uh, Seasons Change, you know. And I sense that, you know, as a ministry, we're in that time, you know, of, of, of a season and a changing. You know, I mentioned last week how Brother Mac uh, has been a part of the church since we were on Airline Highway, you know. I mean, came over as a part of the group that came over on Airline Highway, you know, has been, a, uh, been with me for a very long time. And so he's seen these kind of changes and things that have occurred over the years. Uh, and it's, it's just interesting to watch how God does the things that he does. Today, I want to talk about uh, a message that I'm entitling, Nav Navigating Perilous Times. Navigating Perilous Times. Um, my thesis, which I hope we all get when <laughs> we get to the end, it's important to learn to navigate times of trouble. You know, we, we, there's so much going on in life. And when you look at the world in and of itself, um, you look at Congress just fighting back and forward right now about whether to fund the government and all kind of things and getting down to midnight almost before they actually agree to uh, fund the government for another, you know, um, so many days. Um, I think that when we look at what is happening, I think that it's important for us to learn how to navigate these times. You know, there are lots of things that are going on with us, even as individuals, you know, and things that uh, we need to work through. And, you know, I told Sister Lori more and more, I've been very prayerful about trying to pay attention to things, you know, because sometimes we're just, we're going, but we're not really kind of seeing what's happening around us. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 5, which then, where Paul sets out for us the understanding that these kind of times were coming and that it was understood that in every generation the times seemed more perilous than others. I was hearing somebody the other day talking about climate change and how hot it was and all that. But actually, you know, they said that I guess Saturday's uh, October weather turned out to be as... Um, I want to say, as hot as 1904. So all of a sudden, it's like, well, wait a minute. I mean, it's been this hot before. It was just in 1904. So, I mean, you know, it's not that it hasn't been. So, so there are things that we may be seeing that do are perilous and are problematic, and, but they, they're almost like a rhyme that just keeps kind of going or a circle that goes around and around and around. But at the same time, we know that the world is spiraling somewhere. But at the same time, it's, it's incumbent upon all of us as believers to be able to find where we are in it and, and then deal with it. You know, I was talking to um, COVID this morning and I was explaining to him about, you know, some of the decisions I made as a young man. 
when I was like 19, you know. Um, and my father was telling me about not leaving home and things like this. You're not ready, son. You're not ready. And I remember I used to always tell him, Dad, I'm ready for responsibility. You know, I want responsibility. And he kept saying, son, you'll have it in due season. Just be patient. Well, you know, I wasn't. I left home. Uh, next thing you know, I found myself in a whole other situation that uh, you can't just fix. And now I was dealing with it. Uh, and so as far as I was concerned, that was the world that, I, that existed, and it was my trouble. And all of a sudden, I was having to kind of navigate my way through it uh, to try to understand it. I didn't, didn't understand how it was kind of a creation of my own, and at the same time, then not realizing that uh, God had an answer as well, that if I was willing to hear him, and just like uh, Sister uh, April said this morning, find the prescription that God has for my current situation, and then begin to take what I'm told uh, and do it as I'm told till I get the results that I'm looking for out of what this is supposed to do. Sometimes, you know, people go through things, and it takes a lot longer to come through. Sometimes it looks like people don't seem to ever come through, but the point is that God has never changed who he was and who he is. And so we have to know this. So in 2 Timothy, we're going to start there. We're going to look at something here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read verse 1 through 5. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. So we see now then that Paul lays out for us what these perilous times bring to us. So we are dealing consistently in the world with individuals and people, and this is what the Bible is describing. When he uses the term men, he's talking about the species, man, men, this is what is going to happen. This is what we're going to be seeing. The Bible tells us that people will be lovers of their own selves. Well, we know what that means. If you look in a lot of churches today, they teach this idea that, you know, you have to love yourself before you can love anybody else. Um, Self-love is the most important love and things of this nature. But the Bible really doesn't teach that. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But in saying that, he wasn't saying this kind of selfish love that we tend to have for ourselves, where everything is about us all the time and that somehow we have to figure out how to make it work for us before we make it work for anybody else. And we see through Christ the idea that what? He sacrificed what he had so that what? He might be able to meet the needs of others. That is what we learn from Christ. But we see these perilous times bring a different attitude in people. It brings, you look on the news and you see people literally um, uh, 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 ransacking stores uh, saying that, you know, it's their right to do this because everyone deserves to eat and all these things that we're saying justifying really criminal behavior as we're basically uh, marauding and tearing down stores and, and, and basically looting. And then we're calling it something other than that, but we have to understand where this country would eventually go if we play into this concept of what we see happening that we have to 
be so concerned about ourselves that no matter what, if it means I've got to steal, I've got to do whatever I'm going to do to other people, then we are headed down a road that ultimately this country cannot sustain itself. Now, what I, I don't, not so sure what people don't understand about it, I, I thought that they did, is that, you know, when you look at the, the United States or the concept even of capitalism, and I'm not going to preach a sermon on that, I just want to briefly touch on it because of this whole idea of men being lovers of themselves. There was a time when you could believe, at least I did as a young man, that even though I was not of the majority race, I knew that if I could be treated fairly, that I could accomplish some things. I knew that I would be able to take care of myself and I could maybe get a business going or I could do something if I was just treated fairly. That's all that meant. I wasn't looking for anything special beyond just making sure I had access uh, to the things that anybody else did. That was the idea. So America, what made it work, what could make it work, and what our ancestors thought about in trying to make it work was just the same fairness that was given to everyone. With that being the case, then, that would mean, then, that what? If I went out and I began to earn money, I began to do a job, and I was doing well, that then I could look forward to those things that come from that. But now, just like I was talking to my brother yesterday, was my understanding that, you know, California has most recently passed the legislation to make the minimum wage in certain fast food restaurants $20 an hour. Now, I, maybe the, the, the workers in there right now might be very happy about that. But I can tell you this. If you a fast food eater, get ready. Because if Burger King and McDonald's and them stay open in those states, they're going to pass these costs out everywhere, right? So now you think you go and you get a Big Mac and it's $5.99 just for the sandwich. Next you go over there and it's $8 or $9 just for the sandwich. And you're going to find out that the very people that we want who eat the fast food, because that's the meal they can afford. They, I was joking, my brother, I said, most of the people when I go to Chick-fil-A, the people I meet at Chick-fil-A, you know, you go over there and you ask for a grill, chicken sandwich and a side salad, they want $12. Well, I mean, most of the people I see at Chick-fil-A are not the people who are necessarily close to unemployed or not doing so well. They're not going to Chick-fil-A. They're down at McDonald's looking for the two-for-one special and stuff like that, the thing that you used to be able to do when you were young. You know, you could get it, at least you could eat, right? Well, if we keep, because we're trying to help on the one hand, which is what people claim, but then you inflate the cost of business to the point that a business owner can't function. It's like Brother Chris. You know, Brother Chris has his business. He sells lemonade and maybe some different sandwich type things he does and all of that. But, you know, right now, you know, I already tell him, Brother Chris, I can't afford your lemonade. You know what I mean? A, a cup of it is like six, seven dollars. And I'm like, I never bought a cup of anything to drink for seven dollars. You know, I think people buy liquor like that, you know I mean? Stuff, you know, a margarita, you might pay seven dollars and in happy hour you get two. But I mean, uh, surely not lemonade. I mean, I, I just, I, I couldn't, I don't. And so all of a sudden, if he got imposed on him the need to pay $20 an hour to his workers, that means that he's got to sell. Now, now that's, that, that doesn't matter. They don't cover their taxes. It doesn't cover any of that. He's got to sell at $6 at least three, and a, three cups of lemonade just to pay for one worker being there. That's, that's, that's the kind of thing you just can't succeed at. And so when we reach a place where we come to believe that, you know, 
we love ourselves so much that we forget the system itself. This is what I was saying about church. When we love ourselves so much that we forget the system itself, what God gave us as a sanctuary, the congregation of God, to deal with each other, to love one another, to help one another. When it becomes about me, you and I, what begins to happen is it breaks down because it can't survive. And that's what's happening in our country. And I'm not here to talk about that because I ain't running for office, don't want to be a politician. I'm just giving you my sight as I'm looking at it because if you keep forcing things into these corners, I worked at GM for years. And when we, I think I said this last week, when we used to make uh, offers to the union, we made our first offer was 5%, maybe 3%. You might get five. They come in at 10%. You might get six when it's over. But today they go in asking for 40%. Who's ever heard of such a thing? You want a 40% raise? I get it. I know you what you need, but I mean, do you know who's going to pay for that? People are like, well, I can't afford a car now. You sure not going to afford one after that. Since Lori and I were looking at some of these new Cadillac Escalades. Oh, these people, you know, these people have left the planet in their minds. They want 109, 110. Do you want something extra in it? Start talking 120, $120,000, and the UAW ain't got a raise yet. Where's it going? I'm telling you where it's going. They're going to all be parked on the lot, and people are going to start stepping their way on back down to something else. Houses. My brother and I talked about it yesterday with the interest rate the way it is right now, a $200,000 house. You're talking about an $1,800 a month mortgage when it used to be $600 maybe 700, because the interest rates were 2 3%. Now they're talking about 8%. Who can do that except people who have jobs? Right now, if they've got decent, pretty decent jobs, they can afford to do it. Otherwise, the rest of society is being left further and further behind. And most of this is tied directly to self-love, whether people want to understand it or not, because McDonald's loves itself so much, that's why when you drive up, you hear something say, will you be using our app today? And it sounds like the same woman because it is everywhere. Every restaurant you go to, it's the same automated voice. Will you be using our app today? You say yes, well, what, what? And so there's no need for anybody when you walk in to say, like, welcome to McDonald's, may I take your order for the most part? Because you walk in and there's a machine right there. Tap in your order, well, you can walk over and one person is ready to deal with you. All they do, they love themselves so much, they keep automating and automating and automating. And then you automate out people who had the ability to get at least a job. Now you have no skills, no talent, no degree, no anything. Where are you going to get the job? Self-love destroys systems. And people don't understand it. Self-love destroys families. Self-love destroys things that God intended to operate integrally together, because without sacrifice somewhere, eventually the system has no choice but to collapse. You know, it's interesting when you look at that, it goes on to say after that, they would be covetous. So not only are they self-lovers, they're also covetous. And the Bible says, it talks about what it means to be covetous. It means that I look at you and I desire what you have and I want what you have, and I need what you have. And it may, you know, most people, I tell people this all the time, because the older I get, the more I know this is just true. 
you don't have a clue what the price some people have paid to have what you coveted. You just don't know. It looks good. You know, I was thinking about the LSU coach the other day as I, Sister Laura and I were driving to her mom's house, and there was a picture up of her up, and it was talking about the national championship. And I thought, man, that woman's now the highest paid coach in America. My God, y'all, y'all. And I said, but you never know what's going on with her. So sure enough, two, three days later in the paper, there's an article reading about how this summer she had a tingling in one of her fingers. She decided to go in to the doctor because she wanted to get it checked. And it was what she thought. It was carpal tunnel. But she said she had had a disc removed or something had happened with a disc. So she wanted to get some uh, x-rays. So they x-rayed for the disc and found that she had a 95 to 98% blockage in one of the arteries running to her heart. She said she asked they had emergency surgery. We didn't know nothing about it. That's what happens when you got billions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars. You can just get in there and get your surgery and nobody really knows much. She had that surgery and the doctors basically told her and she asked, well, you, could it have been possible? I, oh, they, yeah. Some point you probably would have collapsed and had a heart attack. So she's running up and down the court, hollering and screaming and let's do this and all that, not knowing that you're like a tick away from possibly death, that you could have had a heart attack at that moment, and all of a sudden, everything she's accomplished, everything she's done, everything that we all sit around thinking, well, that's so great, gone in a moment. So, so we really don't know. This is why God is like, that whole covetous thing, man, throw it out. You know, people, he says what? Don't covet your neighbor's uh, ox, your neighbor's uh, things. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's. You know, the idea is that people have things that they have, and guess what? We don't know what's really going on with all of this. The bottom line is, thank God. That's why he said, I am the Lord. I change not. He said, look, be thankful for what you have. And matter of fact, I didn't give him this scripture, but it came to my mind just as I'm saying it. I'm going to go to Hebrews, and I want to read it to you out the Bible. You can hear what the Lord said himself. This is Hebrews chapter 13, And I'm going to look at verse uh, 5 and 6. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. And they'll probably put it up on the quick verse so you can see it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. There it is right there. Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I now will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Bible then is that God is our helper. God is here to be our assistance. God says, look, the world is filled with all kind of stuff. We have a lifestyle, if we're not careful, where we get covetous and we have these desires. And God's like, you're looking at things and you don't know what you're looking at. Be, be satisfied with what you have and where you are. And just be glad that God is your help. He says, because you just don't really know. What's going on? And when I heard that, you know, she's banding up and down the court and could have just collapsed. And the thing about it is, folks, let me say this. You ain't out the dark. When them people go in and put stents and things into your arteries, you don't just walk away and go, okay, now I can run up and down the court and holler and scream and do all kind of stuff. You got to have some serious changes with how you handle yourself because Those things are not guaranteed to always work. So now she lives with that understanding that what? 
she got to deal with that, right? So these are things, see, so what? You know, I'm over there going, you know, Lord, I wish I was her. I wasn't, but I wish I was her. And he's like, okay, be her. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God. I, I, I didn't want to face this, you know, even, no matter how much money you gave me. I wouldn't want to face that or this I, because the money won't matter. You look at Steve Jobs. Created Apple, all the money, everything, billions and billions of dollars, yet he couldn't pay enough to save himself. And so, folks, we really got to think about this navigation of these perilous times that he's talking about, that it's important to learn to navigate trouble and to let God be your source and to always realize that no matter what's going on or where you are or how it's happening, somebody, somewhere, something is probably not as good as it is for you at the moment. And now it's about allowing God to strengthen you through the trouble because it trouble can overwhelm you in your mind and you begin to believe uh, something that is not so. Let's look next at what it says. After covetous boasters, boasting about where we are and what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and what we're going to do and all of that. And God's like this becomes part of our uh, mantra of boasting. Another is Proud, being proud of things and being proud of how we do things. Blasphemers, he says, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. What does that mean? You know, it's funny. I watch Sister Lori a lot. You know, we live together. So I'm able to watch her a lot. You know, we go to her mom's house, and I'm, I told y'all this last week, you know, how the dog gets nuggets or the dog gets different things. And, but, you know, the dog got a heart problem, and since Lori gets his medicine and makes sure he got medicine, and when she gets there, you can tell, I'm not the guy. I mean, he'll come to me looking for something if Sister Lori don't have the bag he's expecting. Then he may come over to me, and he gets up on his hind legs, and he goes like this. And that either means let me out or what's going on, dude? What's going on? What's going on? I said, well, today I guess she decided maybe some regular dog food will work for you. And it's not even bad dog food. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that meaty stuff that got juice and gravy. He look at that like, uh-uh, no, we're not doing that, man. We're doing, we, need, we need some of uh, that food that you just gave your mama. That's what I would like. And he goes over to her, and he just sits and looks at her. And then the mom may give him a little something or whatever, right? But this is what we call natural affection. In other words... And I used to be guilty. I, I, I've always said this. I think I've said this about myself, but if I didn't, I'll confess it. Now, I was a guy that, you know, I mean, if a frog went by, I could kick him on out in the yard and don't even worry about it. But it's because it's a frog. And most people would be like, well, it's a frog. Why do you care? But I remember when Carly used to talk to Carly many times, and she's like a real animal kind of lover. And she wanted to uh, be a veterinarian, I think, at one time. And when I would say some things like, well, you know, I mean, it's just a frog, just kicked him off the way, she would just look so horrified. I mean, why would you do that to that poor little frog? And Sister Lori, at times, I, you know, I'm weed-eating and there's a frog somewhere, and I'm like, ah, I mean, she's like, don't do that. And I'm like, you right. Go on, little frog. <laughs> Go ahead, let me push you on out here, right? There's some things that we feel better about, roaches, you know, we just smash them, and it's cool. I'm not telling y'all go home and love your roaches. That ain't my point. But what I'm saying to you is that if you just have this callous idea about God's creation in general, which all of this he created, I'm not telling you, you know, the mosquito lands on you. I love you. 
go away. I'm not saying that. I get it. But what I'm saying is the idea of just callously passing by and not recognizing that animals as well as. Now, I'm not saying you go fishing and say, we ain't going to catch this fish because fish is God creation. We don't want to eat it. That, none of that's what I'm saying. I'm talking about this callousness that one might have toward God's creation, you know, irrespective of what it is. Because if you're not careful, you become, you can become a pet you know, like the, like the people that are doing all that stuff with animals, and all of a sudden they're more concerned about a certain group of animals than they are about human beings. And we're not talking about that. Or you're more concerned about the climate than you are about something else. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that this is the concept. When God says without natural affection, there's something natural that God put in man that should cause him to love his brother. This is why when... Cain rose up and killed Abel, that God said, you are of, and, and, and John said it, you are of the wicked one because you rose up and you killed your brother. And John said, if you hate your brother, it's the same thing without a cause. It's like murder. God put in us, and what was Cain's response when he said, where is thy brother? His response is, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done? Your brother's blood is crying up from the earth. When he asked, it wasn't that God didn't know that Cain had killed Abel. God knew he had done it. But he asked him directly, where is your brother? And he basically throws out this excuse that most people might use. We said, what, am I my brother's keeper? Well, no, this doesn't mean that what, you got to take care of everything going on in the world for everybody. We got it. But at the same time, this ties right back into the whole self-love thing. The whole concept, this is why a capitalist society succumbs to communism. Just listen to me. This is why a capitalist society succumbs to communism. Because communism supposedly is the idea that all of the people, no matter what their status or their skills or whatever, they get to what? Share and share alike. And everyone puts in their abilities and their uh, production. And when it's over, then that means that everyone gets to share. As you destroy capitalism and destroy people's ability to make money, have their own jobs, have their own businesses, you push more and more people down into the category of people who can't take care of themselves. By doing that, you open up a gap for people to come in and start to say, this is why we told you that stuff don't work. This is why we told you that. And you just make room for what? More and more people to supposedly give over their rights to these people, like in China, who are going to take care of all of us. And we all going to contribute our skill set. So Brother Rahim and Sister Angelica, both lawyers, so now they're supposed to make all their contributions, work as hard as they work, do everything that they can do, do it as well as you can do it, do it as best as you can do it, but your kids and your life will be exactly like somebody else who can't do anything. Not because they're handicapped, not because whatever, but because maybe they just chose not to. But they're a part of society, and as a part of society, they owe it, we owe it to each other to take care of each other. Yeah, kind of, but that ain't what this is about. And I agree, capitalism can go way to the other extreme, where we're all doing what? Our own thing to the point we don't care. But what made it function for the most part is that what? I can't do what I do. I got to have workers. 
It's like this church. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're thinking, but as Brother Mac knows, when we were smaller, it was easy for me to do all kinds of things, you know, and everything, right? But as we grew and as we wanted to do more and more things, like go online, like uh, have our children's uh, academy, any of these different things we're doing, well, pastor can't get up here, preach, and do that. There's some things, yeah, you could do when you're not up here doing them. But if you want to grow, you got to have these people to help you out, right? Well, it's the same thing with a business. You can start off your business by yourself and do a great job for a moment by yourself. But I'm telling you, every lawyer I know that's gotten in trouble typically get in trouble because they don't have a system to manage bigger business. So as the business gets bigger and you all of a sudden have income coming in, you got to account for that. You got to separate it. You got to make sure that when you're writing checks, you're not writing checks out of your trust account. You're writing them out of your own operating account. If you need to operate, you need to use operations funds. If you get something from the client, you need to bill it properly, then move it. You can't just commingle stuff and do it. It's not acceptable for a lawyer to do that. But a lawyer that's by themselves with a few clients, yeah, I can manage that. But as time goes, we all want to grow. As we grow, we need help. That's what this system is about. Now, I got to hire a legal clerk, maybe. I got to hire a secretary. I got to hire somebody to go out and paint the front of the building because I got law cases to do. Now, when you ain't got a lot of law cases to do, you can go out and paint the front of your law office, cut your law office lawn and all that, and do what? Go sit inside and wait for some clients. But when you got clients coming, you now begin to do what? You change the priority of certain things, and you lower the priority of those things with the understanding that I need to go do this. I got to generate income now because what? Every single employee in the office depends on what's happening with what we're doing, right? What I'm doing. Well, now I got to do that because I'm not saving any money doing what? Cutting the lawn or painting the, the building. If I do that, yeah, it might save a few bucks, but it'd be better for me to go earn a third of a $300,000 or $400,000 case or a half a million dollar case or whatever so that I can do what? Pay my employees and earn more money. I started home daycare. Most people who have home daycares, their desire eventually may be to have a bigger daycare. They want to move out of their home. Well, the only way you move out is that what? You got to grow. And the state has rules about how many people you got to have. You can't have one person watching 20 kids. You got to have a certain number of people watching a certain number of kids. You got to hire those people. And if you want good people, what do you got to do? Pay them well, based on their skill sets. All this makes sense. That's what makes this system work. But if you reach a place where now you're going to demand that I got to push something past where it belongs, what ends up happening is I find myself trapped and unable for my business to succeed. And then where are we? The country collapses. And I'm sorry, y'all, but I, it seems like that's the cycle we're in right now. It's very, very unfortunate. It's very, very disturbing to me sometimes. I sit back and I think about what I used to, I think I told you all this last week, what I used to hear, that we were kicking the can down the road as a young man. I didn't know what that meant. But our debt, that you're kicking the can down the road, eventually somebody's got to pay this debt back. So here now we stand at $33 trillion and people are fussing about funding the government. And what are we going to do? Well, you know, it don't really matter. Almost you say just you might well fund it till you can't fund it no more because you're in a point that's going to be very difficult to pay the debt back.
Because every time you say, and I don't know who it was, my brother and I were talking about it yesterday. I don't know if it was Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson, which one of them said it. Might have been Benjamin Franklin. He said, once people understand that you can support yourself by voting for people who will support you out of the public treasury, you have lost the country. In other words, if everybody that votes understands that my vote gets me something out of the public treasury, the government's going to pay me something or whatever, then I'm intending to do what? Vote for people who do that. You're going to forgive my student loans? Oh. See, for each, each of us, some of us have gone to school and it would matter. It'd be great if they forgave our student loans. It'd be great. Got it. But as a system, we all agreed. We went in with a promise. And although I tell these kids in law school this all the time when I'm talking about corporations, because that's what I teach over there. I said, look, when you're trying to determine if a board member ought to be held liable, let's say, for some event or something, all the board member has to be able to do is say, I made reasonable inquiry, understand that. I thought about it, what was there, and I made a rational decision. The decision does not require reasonableness. It's rationality. I said, now let me explain to you all what I mean. Don't get upset with me, I tell them right before I say it. I said, some of y'all being here is a totally unreasonable decision. If you go out and see how law jobs are hard to come by, a lot of law jobs that people get don't pay a lot of money, legal cases are not like you just get million-dollar cases every week and settle them. You're going to have debt when you leave here, and you got life to live. It is not reasonable for you to be here. Because when you look at the percentage of people who get law jobs, they got to be in certain top percentage. All of a sudden, it's not reasonable. But it's rational. I so said, let me tell you why. I know people who came here who got C averages, who now are multimillionaires. They got more money than they know what to do with. And they saw their way out of law school. That's how we joke about it. I wasn't magna cum laude. I wasn't summa cum laude. I was thank you, laude. And that's what they'll tell you. And their average was maybe a good C. But today, they're outperforming all these other lawyers who got A's in school and did well. I mean, so it doesn't, it's not so much about that. But it was, that's what's rational. Why? Because you can see anyone from the scale from here to here pass the bar if they put the work in to do it, even though what? People say they won't, they pass it first time, they get out, they work hard, they do well. You can see it, so it's a rational decision. Well, folks, that's the whole idea of going into business. You go into business because it's rational for you. You have confidence in yourself. You believe that you can do something. Brother Mac, I mean, was very, very successful in this business. I mean, and, and I always, I keep, if I keep calling him out, it's because I, 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 I recognize, you know, over, more and more, you know, to the extent of what, Mac was doing at the time even. And, and you know, Mac was always, I mean, Mac, Mac's business was constantly jumping, 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 always working. But he also he had workers, he had other people, but at the same time, he had confidence in his business and himself. But he also understood the system. If the system works properly and things are held up fairly, he could be successful at what he did if he worked very hard. Problem is, as the thing continues to, to, to kind of 
change, it's becoming more difficult to get people to believe in that anymore. You tell a young person, look, you can start your own business and you'll be able to be successful and you can make money and all. Doing what, they say. You know, most of us, when we were doing things, if you're older like me, you know, you might have had another job. You did some other things. You do what you got to do. But if you don't gather all that up and work at it, it's very difficult right now to do that. You can't just say, I'm going to start a business and it's going to work. It's, it's so much going on out here right now that it becomes very difficult for people to what? that system to work, all of the incentives to make it work are being taken away. Everything about it makes it extremely difficult. But these are the perilous times. Remember what my message is, navigating perilous times. We're here. Whether it's your children, my children, <laughs> we're here. Us, and we, we have to deal with it. We're here. We can't stick our head in the sand and act like we're not here because we are here. The Bible says, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power of it. You know, in other words, the idea is that we can look like God but totally deny the power of godliness that there is something in godliness and living the life of godliness that brings the power of God onto our lives and the ability for us to navigate these tough and turbulent times. I want to take you to Psalm 18. I want you to think about David. David was called by God, anointed by God to be king, began to serve in the army of Saul, and at some point, Saul got upset because David, in going out to battle, was getting the acclaim of the people and not Saul. And Saul began then to be enraged by David, and all of a sudden just had this mad sense to kill him, which David never did anything to Saul. But Saul's mind just got overwhelmed by this. David has written many psalms, and this psalm and others we'll look at are dealing with some of these perilous kind of times, troubled times. Psalm 18, we're going to read, just read verse 29 through 37. It says, For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and makes my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. You see here, David, as he is going through different troubles and things that he's trying to maneuver through and navigate, finds himself giving God the glory again for who he is and what he is and how he brings you through. David declares 
that not only is God uh, his shelter or any of these things we've seen in the Psalms, he says, but for my, by thee I have run through a troop. And by my God, I have leaped over a wall. So Paul, David says, look, I don't know about the rest of y'all and what's going on with you. But he says, this is my testimony about the God that I serve. There's an army in front of me, but God has made it possible that I might run through it. There's a wall that I can't get over, but God has made it possible that I can leap over that wall. David said, I don't know about the rest of y'all and what's going on with you, but he says, I need you to understand what he's done. He says, as for God, his way is perfect. He continues to declare in the spite of all that's going on, God is still perfect. And then he goes on and he says, the word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust in him. God will, look, God will hold you up. It don't matter what you're going through or how you're going through it. You may not know when, how, what he's going to do. But when it's over each time, it's time to stand. God will help you to stand. You may not understand why, what's happening, but we know one thing about God. The devil is a liar and God's word is perfect and true. The Bible says when Joseph was told that he was going to rule, the next thing you know, Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was thrown into prison. He was put in a pit. He then came, he was supposed to come out of the pit after he told people, help them. They went and forgot him again. Then finally, the Bible says that his day came. And when his day came, he got exalted from the pit to the palace. There is no way to the exaltation, but the pit. Through the pit to the palace, always through the pit. Everybody, look at Abraham, look at Isaac, look at Jacob, look at everybody, there's always through the pit. We got to navigate the perilous times. They come at us, we don't understand them, we don't know what's going on. It shouldn't be a, something of, of a shock. Jesus said, you have tribulation in the world, but be of good cheer. I have overcome this world. We have an adversary. And his intention is to do whatever he can to destroy our testimony. He wants to do whatever he can to make it clear that Jesus does not run things. Jesus declared when he came back, the death, hell, and the grave, I hold the keys. I hold the keys. If we have declared that Jesus is our God, and he declares that he holds the keys, to everything going on, well, then you know what? If we believe him, then now we got to stand tall as we navigate the perilous times. We don't understand them. We don't know what's going on, but we know Jesus is in charge. And if he's in charge, then we got to focus on the path we're on and not on the trouble. We got to focus on the path. We got to focus on the word. Like Sister April said this morning, you know, when you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you, hey, it's like um, Sister Carly. The doctor may say, I don't know what he's going to say. I have no clue. But he may say, look, you know, we ain't letting you out of this hospital right now. But unless, you know, we can prescribe some medication or something like that, maybe, you know, to keep your pressure down when you're out of the hospital. And she can make a decision. Well, no, I ain't going to leave the hospital. Well, more than likely, insurance is going to say, nah, you need to leave, take the medication, right? Well, it's to her benefit to do that. And then we pray that what? God 
Remember last week we said, I told you I didn't agree with everything the guy said. <laughs> that there were three ways that we can see healing and perceive it. And it's true, it works all the time. You know, when you get a cut, you might say, well, Lord, help my cut, whatever. But you don't pray every day for it to heal and get a scab. If you don't have a problem with blood clotting or something like that, your body naturally heals itself. If you get a broken arm, they put it in a cast, and guess what? So well, take it out, it works. Now, who knows? Yeah, maybe you could pray and boom, your arm works. But even if it don't, guess what? You put it in a cast and you wait time, it works. Then there's, that's the, basically the example of natural healing with the assistance of some medical provision. You got to put something in there. And God can supernaturally do things, and we would love him to do them, and we believe he can do them, and we're waiting on him to do them. But we're also doing our part while we're doing it. We got to understand, this is, a this is a time. I've dealt with more than one person who has gone in and had a baby, and their pressure got up. I mean, having a baby, I've never done it. I've just watched it. And folks, I'm telling you, that don't look like nothing very nice to me. I mean, this gives you a good end result. I mean, the Bible says, you know, that women, amazingly, this is why the Bible says they all have more than one sometimes, that women, you know, they, they're almost in this condition where they're saying, this ain't never going to happen to me again. I am never going to let this happen to me again. And then the joy comes forth. And that child is born, and the Bible says when that child is born, they forget all the pain associated with that child. And now they're loving their baby and all that, and all that stuff behind. They're going on what they're doing, man. They're excited. And so God says this is how it works. So, so we have to understand. So that in the process that we got to war our way through to get to the joy we're seeking. Sometimes it's longer. Sometimes it's harder. And I don't have those explanations. I don't know what that's all about. All I know is what David has consistently declares and others. And he goes on. He says this. He says, for who is God save the Lord? There is no other God. I'm not going to call any names, but I was riding in a car with somebody the other day, and we were talking about something, and I was telling them how somebody had joined a particular religion. It doesn't matter what it was. And I made, I said, you know, and I, I think they don't understand, and I wasn't joking about the particular religion, but I said something, and I started to laugh, and the person said to me, don't do that. Don't do that. And I said, what? You know, that I guess I was blaspheming whoever this God is. Well, if I just stopped and I ain't say nothing. But then I went home and I was telling my wife about it. And she says, that's interesting, you know, because, you know, I've, I've watched this person kind of watch South Park. And I don't know if y'all know anything about South Park. You know, they, they make a joke of everything. I mean, they joke about Muslims, Christians, everything, right? And sometimes individuals watch it and laugh and all that. So, of course, I, I did talk to them a little bit later about it. And they were like, well, yeah, I guess you're right. Huh? Well, if you watch South Park... And they making jokes about this God, whoever he is. I, I wasn't even talking about the God like that. And I think they recognized my point. Who is God? The, the, David said, look, as for God, he says, look, for who is God save the Lord? Who is a rock save our God? That's it. I mean, he's the only one. God declares himself 
to be the only God there is. That's why the Bible, when it says people, it says they'll be blasphemers. Well, we don't want to be blasphemers. You got people that are taking the cross of Christ and putting it in a, dipping it in a urine, whatever it was they did, and putting it on display, calling it art. And they say that this is some kind of example of free speech. That you're taking Christ and the cross and desecrating it in this way. And that's what the Bible means when it says in the last days, blasphemers. They don't, they don't care about that. They, don't, they, they take the name of Jesus in vain all the time, and they deal with it this way. But, 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 but David says, I need y'all to understand. There ain't but one God. And if you really want to get through the perilous times, you better hang on to him. You better find him. You better know who he really is. Because once you do, you'll make it, and you'll get to where you want to go. In verse 32, he says, It is God that girds me with strength and makes my way perfect. When we need help, man, I mean, that's why Paul could say, Paul wasn't saying, I'm happy when I'm weak. I, I, I don't know why people want to think that what Paul was saying. Paul wasn't saying that. Paul said, but I will glory in my weakness. He said, because when I am weak, then I'm strong. It's only then that more than any time the power of Christ can rest on me. Because for sure you know you ain't doing that. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of things that we all know we can do. We can just get them done, get them done, get them done. But when that time comes, there are certain things that guess what? You know you can't do them lest God step in. This is what Paul meant when he said, therefore I'll glory in my weakness. When things happen that I don't understand, when things that are going on that are making me weak, when things that are happening, I know that Christ now can show up and strengthen me in that time. Therefore, instead of complaining and going on about it, I will find strength in my God. I'll believe him that this is what I need. Your way is perfect. In verse 33, he says, he makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me up on my high places. Well, hinds, what is that? Deer. You ever seen in some places and some jurisdictions, they call them, or, or hunting areas, deer will outrun you by going up the hill. You can't get up there. They call them the high places, so they're they able to, their hoofs and things, they can just go. And so they outmaneuver you because they can't bite you. As Brother Chapman, he know. <laughs> yeah, a deer ain't going to come up to you and bite you like a dog. I mean, if you get up on a deer, they run it. They ain't trying to stick around and bite, attack you. That's not what they do. They got to get away. They got to use their sense of smell, their sense of ability to know what's going on. That's why you got to cover yourself. You got to take your time. You got to camouflage yourself because they are constantly looking and, and gathering. They'll be eating. And if they... Sense anything, the head come up, and sometimes they just going to bolt because they already know something ain't right. David said, he makes my feet like hinds feet, sets me on my high places. In other words, when the enemy is after me, I can get up in the mountain. You know, the Bible says get in the mountaintop where the Lord is, you know, my, my high place from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. So I'm going up. I'm going up. I got to go up to the high place where God is, where he can get in my mind, get in my spirit, get in my heart so that I can survive the next day, that I can believe that he is who he declares himself to be and keep walking in it, keep talking in it, keep believing in it so that when it's over and I come out on the other side with the clouds, where the clouds break and the sun comes through, once again, I'm not shocked by the sun. I just say, hallelujah, thank you, God, 
for doing what you always do because you are who you declare yourself to be. And then he says in verse 34, he teaches my hands to war. See, David understood something. God says this, if he don't keep the house, you're getting up in vain. God said, look, if, if he don't watch the house, if he doesn't build the city, you're building in vain. God has to be the one to teach you how to war. God has to be the one to let you understand that the devil, none of us can take him on. None of us would be successful battling him. This is why, like I said last week, God had to deal with Peter. Because Peter was a man of resolve, a man of self-confidence, a man who was quick to speak, a man who knew, I don't care what happens, Jesus, I'll never leave you. And Jesus said, brother, Satan, <laughs> he desires to sift you so he can have you like wheat. Because he ain't say it, but you know what? You talk too much. You're running your mouth just a little bit more than you can deliver on. Because for you to stand here now and tell me, no matter who leaves you, I will never leave you. You don't know what you're up against. And Jesus said, before the night is over, Peter, unfortunately, you're going to deny me thrice. He said, before the cock crows. And he was like, oh, I ain't no way, man. And he did. And then there was Jesus standing when it was over, when he rose from the dead and walked up to Peter. And Peter looked at him and he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, I love you, Lord. And then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me more than these? He said, yeah, Lord, I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Then he asked him another time, Peter, do you love me? And he, the Bible says Peter began to cry because he understood now what he had been doing. He was, he was going, and, and, but you denied this man. You left him in his trouble. And here he is now asking you again, now that he's risen from the dead and you see that he is God, do you love me? And Jesus' response wasn't, then follow after me. He said, feed my sheep. Do you see how, how much we matter to Jesus? I, I, I got to get y'all to understand this, how much you matter to Jesus. Your life is important to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how you're going through it. It doesn't matter. Your life is important to Jesus. Enough that he told Peter, feed my sheep, feed them. Instead of, he says, instead of us comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, know that God has your life under control and that God can do what needs to be done in your life. He says in verse 35, thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy right hand is holding me up and your gentleness hath made me great. The last thing that I want to do, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. I love that sound. That's the sound of growth, the sound of family. Ephesians chapter 6, I want to read beginning at verse 10. Familiar text. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. 
Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the blessed plate of righteousness, on your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me. That utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may boldly speak as I ought to speak. I want you to think about what Paul declares for us to understand. We've talked about this before, but I want you to really think about this now. We're navigating perilous times. The Bible says this. When you look at that very verse where we're commanded in verse 10 to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We see then that we're not told to be weak. We're not told to cower under. We're not told to go limp. But we're told to be strong, but not in ourselves. We're told to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Believing and understanding that God can provide strength that we can't provide for ourselves. We don't understand how he does it. We don't understand how none of it works, but we know the word of the Lord has been tried. And this is what we must hold to, that God is our rock and our strength. And then he declares something to us to make it clear to us what we're up against. He says, you're not wrestling against God. <laughs> you ain't. I'm not Jacob, and we're, none of us are Jacob. You ain't wrestling with God. The Bible says this. You put on God's whole armor so that you'll be able to stand against the tricks of the devil. The Bible makes it clear. The tricks ain't coming from God. The tricks are not God's design. The tricks are not something God's doing. The tricks are the tricks of the devil. <laughs> That's it. The Bible says put on God's armor. Stand strong, because here come the tricks. And then he says, for do you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So if me and my wife are having difficulty, I got to understand something. This ain't no fight with my wife. This is the devil in my house. I got to hold up a minute and say, well, wait a minute. This the devil in my house. I got to drive the devil out of my house. I have to be able to say, hold up a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Me and you got married. Me and you had an agreement between each other, how we would love each other, care for each other, how we feel about each other. Hold up. We got to hear these other voices that are coming in and speaking and saying things and doing things and, and trying to perpetuate confusion and all kind of other stuff. It's not you. I'm not wrestling against you. When I go to work, I'm not wrestling against my boss. I may not be getting what I want, things may not be going right, but I got to understand something. As a soldier of God, as a Christian, I need to realize something. There's a devil I'm fighting. There are demons all over the place. We got to understand this, not to scare you, but we got to know it's true. There was a man who was out of town, and he had, I don't know, I think Brother Chad might have sent me that video. I'm not sure. Maybe my wife. And these people are, literally, the man is 
off on vacation or somewhere, but his house videos are showing these people are in his house with guns in the live in his next to the bedroom door, getting ready to kick it in. And he's watching it. And the question is, if you were home, what would you do next? You know, because some people got camera in their room or whatever. These people are literally invading this man's home with, with guns, ready, masked, ready to kick in his bedroom door. He just wasn't on. This is how you got to see the devil. They're things that you know are not God. They're thoughts in your mind that you know are not God. You've got to take authority over them through the strength of the word of God. If you can't do it, I tell you what I do. I find some pastor, some preacher, somebody who is giving up the prescription I need at the moment. So if you got eight hours of healing scriptures and I need something done, I'm listening. I put it on my ears. So constantly what I'm hearing is, I am the Lord that healeth thee. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am the Christ who gave his life that you might have health and have it more abundantly. I am the great I am. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I put that in my ears and I keep taking it and taking it and taking it because I can't minister to myself right now, but I need the word of God. It's the only thing that pushes it out. You learn something as a person. I told you all this many years ago. You can't keep, no matter how much you think you can, you can't do two things at once in your mind. Our minds aren't designed that way. You know, I could say something to you right now, and then I say something else to you, and you would be like, what did he just say? Because I'm telling you to concentrate on what I'm saying right now. If I say concentrate on what I'm saying right now, and then I say something else, you don't know what I just said, because you're concentrating on what I said back then. This is the key Jesus taught us. Take no thought saying. So when the devil shoots a thought in your mind, you, you can't take it. You can't say, I don't love them anymore. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold up. Stop. You got to realize that's a fiery dart the enemy just shot into your mind about your spouse, about your marriage, about whatever. You got to push it back out. You got to get in the word and you got to hear, take your marriage medicine. Let it go over in your mind. When your children getting on your last nerve and you're like, wow, why did I even have children? <laughs> Sometimes you feel like that. Well, you know what? The Bible says them children are a reward from the Lord. Yeah, the Bible says, and blessed is the man who gets his quibble full of them. Yeah, think about it. They will meet the enemy in the gate. Bottom line is that, you know, ain't nothing wrong with having them. God says they're your reward. So you put them in your quiver and you be happy. So when the time comes, they're getting on your last nerve. You don't go get, you know, uh, uh, something talking about, I can't wait till you're gone. That thought ain't come from God. <laughs> Boy, I can't wait till you're gone. That thought ain't come from God. You got to realize that God is saying to children, just like he's saying to parents, you know, don't do this, don't do that. He got things. Get the prescription, man. Get you some prescription. Put it in your mind. Understand what the scriptures say. We wrestle not. I'm going to leave you with this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places.
Today, if these young children have been running around with Harry Potter and all that stuff ever get a hold of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be much more in control than maybe we are because they are all believing in that craziness. That they're darkness and spirits and magic works, but it don't. But God says, look, if you're strong in the Lord and in the power of my might, none of these enemies can defeat you. If you walk in the word, keep the word buried in your heart, it will repel the devil and all of that that he's trying to do to you. Because like Sister April said today, when you get a bad word, it'll make your head stoop. And when you start hearing from the enemy where your life is going and all that stuff, you will be walking around trying to figure out why is your head bent down all the way like that because the enemy has brought you to that place by not doing what? Pressing out and understanding. And I know it's hard. Sometimes it's very difficult, very hard. But we got to understand, that's why God says, I'm going to teach you how to war. Because you got to understand, you in a battle, man. This devil is real. He's trying to kill people. Every time you see anything you see crazy on the street, that's the devil. People say, I can't believe people torture people. The devil. I can't believe you go to prison and they're killing people in prison. The devil. I can't believe that somebody would just walk up to somebody. This lady I saw the other day in New York, guy robbed her, picked a woman up and body slammed her to the point that he paralyzed this woman. Just trying to rob her. And she was fighting back or whatever, and he picks her up and just wham! And she's paralyzed. That's the devil. The devil. He's constantly up, constantly putting things out, constantly trying to do things. We got to understand what we're up against, folks, but we got to realize this. God will teach us how to navigate in perilous times. We are the victors. So you got to remember this. You always got to say this. No matter what, I'm a victor. I'm the victor. I'm the victor. You got to declare it out the top of your mouth. I am the victor in Christ that if I let the Lord be the one that strengthens me, I will always have the victory. Now, whatever that means, Paul said, I'm not, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything present, nor anything to come can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ. So we go forward knowing that what? We are the victors in Christ. Always remember this, folks. Keep Jesus in the middle of your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today just for the opportunity to come into your house and to declare and to be a part of this word of God. We thank you that Jesus died, that we might have life, and that, Father, that we might have it more abundantly. Teach us and teach our hands to war. Teach us, Father, to love one another and to walk according to your precepts and your judgments. We ask it all even now in Jesus' name. Amen.